actually, as I say that, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. KJ is in New York with the Knowles, so we are, uh, well, we're not reunited at this point. We're separated, and I'm making it just fine, KJ. I'm sitting in the higher chair as per usual, but uh, you are truly the king since you're in Brooklyn. How goes it, sir? It goes well. It goes well. You know, Decker Hoff and I took off this morning, went to One World Observatory, Freedom Tower, got all the way up to the top, was able to look about 60, 70 miles around and 360 degrees, and uh, I win this one, Tommy. You do, because uh, I'm looking at uh, Tom Lang and Matthew right now, so you definitely win in, uh, in, terms, of, <laughs> in terms of the sight lines. Uh, Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, is in New York as well. He's going to join us the next couple of segments. Obviously, the ACC tournament is the topic du jour, though we do have some things, uh, other things to discuss, including combine fallout, which, to be fair, uh, is really just something to kill time for two months till you get to the NFL draft, but uh, we'll kill some time discussing it. Spring football practice is underway. Jimbo's making the guys who aren't playing hard enough wear orange jerseys. That's gotten a lot of buzz, which, to be fair, is what you do to kill time until football season starts. Uh, but lo and behold, we have actual basketball games, and, and uh, Jim Beheim just went and stole all the headlines and made things very interesting, which we appreciate on a Wednesday. He really did, and, and uh, for those of uh, that are not aware, uh, Bayheim has has not been a fan of holding the uh, tournament in Greensboro since the time that uh, Syracuse left the Big East and joined the ACC, and he did nothing but add lighter fluid to it today uh, in double fashion. Number one, by what he said, we'll talk about that in a minute, and then by number two, by his squad going out and just performing not well. Uh, we'll 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 say Miami didn't beat them. We'll say Syracuse lost in a 62-57 defeat in the second round uh, in today's first game at noon up here at the Barclays Center. Uh, and I, for one, Tommy, you explained it to me. You're smarter than I am. Why why is he even going down this road? Well, he was asked a question about it. Uh, why is he going down it? Because he's old. The finish line is in sight. It may <laughs> it may not be a finish line of his choosing, and he doesn't really care. He said as much in the soundbite. So. Uh, first of all, uh, by the way, the other the other score that's final today from the ACC tournament is Duke over Clemson, seventy nine seventy two. That game was interesting, but but Duke survives and advances. Uh, for those that are just getting out of the office and are in their car, uh, and this goes back. So and, and oh by the way, Jim Beheim is now zero and three in the ACC tournament since Syracuse entered the league. But when it was played in Greensboro, uh, I don't know. I think it was two years ago, probably his first year there. He made some snide comment about you know Greensboro is great. I can go to Denny's or whatever the restaurant was. Uh, compared to all the options that you have in New York. So this is what he said today. Uh, take a listen uh, if you haven't seen these comments. This is Jim Beheim after Syracuse was eliminated today when asked about uh, the value of playing the ACC basketball tournament in New York City. New York's a great place. I think obviously we get some fans here, but you know it doesn't matter in terms of who wins. I just think New York City's a great venue uh, for our tournament. I think uh, I think the big cities are where it should be played. I think it should be played here, Washington, Atlanta. That's where the tournament should be played. I'm not going to be around that much longer to care about it, but I think that's where the value is. I think there's a huge value in playing the tournament in those places, and uh, there's no value in playing in Greensboro. None. It's there because the league's been there and the office is there, and they have 150 people at the ACC meetings. That's why it's there. It should not be there. 
that was only the first part, KJ. He went on to say, and I'm saying all that because I don't give a bleep. I'm just saying what's right. That's what's right. Why do you think the Big Ten is coming into New York, which it is next year for its tournament? It's in D.C. this year. It's business, good business sense. They all say it's a business. Well, then, let's start acting like it's a business. Those are strong words from a legendary, albeit uh, ornery, head coach there. They are, and and even if they're true, Tommy, uh, and, I, and I guess our listeners would regret, agree with this, if, if, if Florida State beats Alabama in the opening game of the 2017 season, and has who do we play number two? I don't even remember. Whoever it is, Louisiana Monroe. DeAndre, yeah, and DeAndre Francois comes out and goes, you know, we are so much better than Louisiana Monroe. We should not even be playing this game. All we're going to do is go out there and throw our helmet on the floor uh, and win forty to nothing. Even if he believes that, you don't say it. And even if Bayheim believes this, you don't say it. It's just, it's just immature and foolish on his part. Yeah, but I like it. I like it because it's made things interesting here. Now, I actually am on the side of uh, the ACC a little bit more than Bayheim on this uh, as we'll continue this conversation, but there's there's several interesting layers to this. One of this is that Bayheim is good buddies with Coach K. They coach together on the U.S. national team every summer, and right. I, I'm sure that Coach K was asked about Bayheim's comments after Duke's win today, and I have not seen those yet. And I'm sure that Coach K fired right back and talked about how great Tobacco Road is. So it's it's just going to get interesting. Um, I am of the, you and I have talked about this, and I wasn't planning to go down this road today. But since Bayheim just let the cat out of the bag, we'll continue the conversation. And when Tim joins us in a couple segments, we'll get his take too. Uh, I, I've sort of resigned my myself to the fact that it probably is not the best thing for the ACC to just go all in and take New York every year because you are. Uh, from a media standpoint, that's the way you should go. From an exposure standpoint, you should go. But you're fracturing the fan base that grew up with you if you completely cut North Carolina out. I am, uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I think, that you could play two or four years in New York, two or four years in a row in North Carolina, and just have that be the only rotation. You don't need to go to D.C. Uh, I kind of disagree with Bayheim. I don't think you need to go to Atlanta. I know Georgia Tech's there, but to me that's sort of more of an SEC city, not that you should just discount it. But I would be okay with back and forth between uh, North Carolina and New York with the one caveat that I'm, I'm not in favor of Greensboro. If you're going to put it in Carolina, I'd put it in Charlotte. It's an easier city for the people outside of Tobacco Road to get to, and I think the, the folks inside uh, the state borders would, would still be fine with it. But, but that's kind of where I stand. What's your take? Well, you make a good point, but your point needs to be uh, uh, qualified a little bit. The bigger question is, when do you play in North Carolina? When do you play in New York? When do you play in Atlanta? When do you play in Tampa? When do you, wherever. You're boiling the conversation down to Greensboro versus Charlotte, and I would agree with you. I would prefer to play in Charlotte over Greensboro. So the real question becomes, where is the pivot? Is the pivot in North Carolina, and you rotate around it, or is the pivot in some other locale that you rotate around? And I'm of the belief that you could pivot in Orlando, in, uh, in New York two or four years and then go one or two years in Charlotte and then go back to New York and then go one or two years in Atlanta or Tampa or whatever made good sense and then go back to New York. In other words, not exclude North Carolina, but make the pivot be New York City, if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. The only thing about it, and we discussed this just last week, the ACC could have Madison Square Garden if it would go all in on New York. 
But because it hasn't, it's at the Barclays in Brooklyn, which is a great facility. You've been there yesterday and today. I was there at Thanksgiving. Obviously, it's a great facility, uh, and it's a you know a, a cab ride or a, a subway ride into Manhattan, and you're still in the big city. That said, it's not the lure and the prestige of Madison Square, but I don't think the ACC is going to get that unless they decide to go all in. But I like your idea of the you know two to four years in New York and then and then pivot around. Uh, well, and, one other point about that. Maybe the ACC, unlike the Big East, is big enough that we could survive New York being qualified as Barclays versus New York being qualified as Madison Square Garden. The Big East had to have MSG, and MSG made the Big East work. I don't know that the ACC has to have MSG. I think they can get by with Barclays. And the thing I was thinking about is it's kind of like the kickoff meeting uh, you know, that the SEC and the ACC does. The SEC holds their kickoff meetings in Hoover, Alabama. You ever heard of? You ever been there? Uh, I might have been it? through it. I've heard of it. Yes. <laughs> Point is, the SEC can hold their football kickoff meeting anywhere they want to, and everybody will come. Not suggesting that the ACC can hold their basketball tournament anywhere they want to, and people will come, but that they don't need MSG to make New York City work. Barclays will be just fine. Yeah, no, I would agree. Can we get off on a tangent real quick? Sure. How cool is the bus elevator in the Barclays Center? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm staying at the media hotel, so I'm not traveling with the team this time. But what you're referring to, you and I both enjoyed, is you pull off a main thoroughfare in, in, in Brooklyn, and you pull into literally an elevator, the whole bus. The bus driver turns it off. The, the door closes behind. I don't know how many stories we went down. I know I went up 102 today at Freedom Tower. I don't know how many of the bus elevator goes down, but it, it's some. And all of a sudden, the front door opens, and you pull into a corral area, literally at the subway level. It, it, I've never been on one before. You and I were sitting side well, by side. I doubt you have either. And, and here, that, that's one of the all-time experiences. Here, Here's the second part of that for folks listening. So now the bus is four levels below street level or whatever it is. It pulls out onto basically a huge rotating dish in your microwave if you will so it pulls exactly. on this the thing rota- lazy, Susan. It ro- lazy Susan. it rotates 180 degrees so that the bus can then drive back into the same elevator and go back up and out it's it's unbelievable so anyway the barclays center's great the point there is there's terrific technology to it and and your point's probably good but if you're in new york you know uh if you were at the old shea stadium maybe it's not yankee stadium but you're still in new york city and you're having a good time and there's a mets fan here as i say that all right, we got to step aside. Uh, you, you're going to round up uh, our cohort, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, and we'll get back to you on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. As we go to break, though, I do want to point out that uh, our good folks at uh, Centrale, where they're making lunch great again, 11 items for 11 bucks, including the skinny Italian. I mean, they've got a good selection. Th- this is an, Here's the latest genius from Matt Thompson, Keith. Next week is St. Paddy's Day, which conveniently is a Friday, day two of the NCAA tournament. So there will be some green beer in a lot of people's future on that day. They've pointed out that you can't have St. Paddy's Day without a good St. Practice Day. So they've designated this Saturday St. Practice Day down on Madison Street. I mean, if there's a, I love it. I if there's love a promotion it. to be had, they've got it. That's down at Madison Social, Centrale Township. You know it. All right, we'll step aside, get Tim on the horn, and continue uh, on this edition of the Front Row right after this.
The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. I think we have finally found the right genre for Florida State basketball as they are on the road. Sadly, I am not on the road, but everybody else involved with this show is, and that includes one Keith Jones, who's uh, on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. He has uh, rounded up our good pal and Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, we finally, I think, found something that you actually approve of instead of just choosing and then pinning it on you. How are you, sir? It just feels so appropriate. Now we'll see this time next week how well it does, but I think we've you know made it, given it our best effort. I have a question. Okay, <laughs> what was it? I, <laughs> <laughs> you want to take that one, or should I, Tim? Uh, I, I I'll let you handle it, then I'll follow up. Well, that was the Beastie Boys, KJ and. Uh, Tim, you're with him in New York right now. I'm sure you could find some landmarks that are pointed out in their uh, in their vocals. Uh, probably you could do a whole. There's probably a, a double decker red bus tour that's a Beastie Boys tour that you could take in Brooklyn and New York, AJ. You know what I did today? I literally walked across the Brooklyn Bridge, and then I turned around and I walked back. That was the uh, the highlight of my sightseeing today in Brooklyn. Well, there's pretty good sight lines from the Brooklyn Bridge there. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I mean, you can see Lady Liberty from there. I mean, uh, and by the way, if you're a cheapskate, Tim, just take the Staten Island Ferry, and you can come fairly close there instead of paying for the whole tour. You know, that's just a little insider tip. Okay, I need to write these down. Yeah, from a New York City outsider. I'm really not an insider there. Hey, well, depending on what time Tim was walking across the bridge, I might have been watching him from the world, uh, One World Observatory. All right, en- enough about the sightseeing you guys got to do today. I-, I saw a lot of Thomasville Road. It looked nice. Campus is still in good shape, <laughs> if you're wondering. Uh, there's not, you know, traffic on Capitol Circle Northeast is what it is after work. That's all I got. Tim, we, we didn't plan to go into this whole where should the ACC tournament be played on a regular basis. But then Jim Beheim opened his mouth after Syracuse was eliminated today and called out Greensboro, which, Keith, you and I didn't point out that Greensboro had an epic response to Beheim, which basically said, it's okay, coach. You know, you can lose in the first round anywhere, and at least you're close to home. Short so, drive home. Short drive home, yeah. So kudos for that response. But, Tim, what are your thoughts on that? Are you, are you surprised at all that he just went all in and basically called out the league and said, I don't give a bleep? No, I'm not, especially because it's him, and he's kind of, you know, that's sort of his M.O. He, he likes to be outspoken and, and a little bit flippant at times. I've seen it after games, both in Tallahassee uh, and in Syracuse. And the funny thing is, like, I saw a, a year ago or so when uh, when, when we were up there uh, in postgame, uh, a Syracuse media member asked a question that he didn't like, and he kind of gave a snarky response. And, like, they all ate it up. Like, they're all, you know, laughing and, and yucking it up, and, and he's, you know, legitimately mad. Weird dynamic up there, but but as for your question on the ACC tournament, I, like I don't know, it, it kind of speaks to the divide right between the old ACC and the new ACC in terms of the the traditional schools that have been there forever and, and some of the newer ones. And Florida State is kind of in the awkward position now of sort of being an in betweener, not really with the Syracuse and Pitts and Louisville's of the world, but not really with a, the Tobacco Road crew either. Uh, I, you know, Greensboro to me, it kind of feels. Like having a tournament there, if, if you're into sort of like it's almost like having the, the the college world series in Omaha, right? 
it doesn't really make sense except that it's been there forever, and that sort of feels like that's where it should be. Um, and I wonder if, if you're going to move it back to North Carolina, I wonder if Charlotte might make more sense. It's where they've had the, uh, the ACC football kickoff lately. Uh, and if, if Charlotte being a more major city, big, bigger media market, it's still sort of essentially located in the league, French, it's maybe that more than Greensboro specifically. Uh, I don't mean any disrespect to Greensboro. I've been there a lot. It's kind of grown on me on my last couple of trips. Uh, but I just see you know, Jim Mayhaw's point as far as being in, in major media markets and in your cities. Yeah, and for the record, I'm in favor of moving the ACC baseball tournament to Charlotte, too, for the same reasons we're citing here. And, you know, one of the reasons they keep the championships in North Carolina, aside from four schools being there, is they'll cite that it keeps the administrative costs down because the league office is in Greensboro. Well, Charlotte's like 80 miles from Greensboro. So, I mean, you guys can commute if you don't want to pay the hotels on those days. To me, I mean, I, I think you can get the baseball tournament there. Anyway, it just makes for interesting fodder, and you, you're, you're exactly right, Tim. It has separated the old AC, the old guard ACC from the newfangled ACC. Uh, but, you know, but the, the newfangled ACC is, as we talked about last week, it's a bunch of Big East schools who are used to playing in New York and, frankly, have big alumni bases in New York. I mean, Miami's got a huge alumni base there. Notre Dame does. Uh, none of the old Big East schools have a problem with being there. Shoot, Duke might have more alumni in New York City than they do in the state of North Carolina, honestly, if you broke it down. So I, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But we'll leave that topic there, and we'll we'll move to Florida State. because uh, Wait, Well, we do. Before we move on, you know, I, I think we, we, it is, we, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out the next few days, especially starting tomorrow, which I think is when the tournament, you know, really kind of gets into high gear once the top four seeds play. And, you know, it is scheduled to be – in Brooklyn again next year, and then I think Charlotte the year after, and you know we'll we'll see how that works out with all the things going on up there, whether or not the league like to actually play it in Charlotte. But I think these 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 next two years are, are kind of an interesting uh, barometer for what the league's going to do. I think that Leonard Hamilton actually expects that it's going to be in New York on a permanent basis uh, sooner rather than later, and that's just I think just sort of him reading the tea leaves of what the league wants to do. Uh, but but we'll see what happens. You know, how 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 it fares here in Brooklyn these next couple of years, I think will go a long way in determining that. Oh, it's going to be interesting basketball meetings and votes. I'm sure Leonard is in favor of it. I know Stan Wilcox, who had a long affiliation with the Big East before he got to Duke and to FSU, is on board with it. I mean, if you, if you went through and counted the schools, uh, I mean, you got BC, you got Pitt, you got Louisville, you got Notre Dame, you got Miami. I mean, you got a lot of slam dunks that are going to say yes to New York City. And then you got, like you said, FSU sort of in between. But I think FSU uh, would would be in favor of New York. It'll it'll be interesting. We, I mean, we're not going to be certainly compared to Greensboro, I would think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but we're not. You know, we can't solve that. We're not going to be behind the curtain when they have those discussions. But it certainly would be interesting. All right, so FSU is going to play tomorrow night. Uh, that's a good starting point for for all the uh, angst about the way Florida State's played on the road. Uh, it is a reasonable thing to point out that there will have been nine tournament games played in the ACC tournament before FSU plays a game. So that that in itself uh, is pretty significant. And the Knolls got a double bye. They'll play Wake or Virginia Tech. Who do you uh, who do you prefer they match up with in that game tomorrow night at seven? Probably Wake Forest. They were both at home and. Virginia Tech, at least, was without their best player in Seth Allen. So I think you'd probably rather see Wake, but I think both, you know, you're, you're confident that you can beat both teams and that uh, depending on who you're matching up with, you're going to end up opponent either is playing its third game in three days or a second game in two days. So I think from Florida State's perspective, I don't know that they have a strong leaning. I think it probably would lean toward Wake Forest, although Wake Forest did just beat Virginia Tech last week. So 
I said, I know it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but I don't know that they have a, a super strong leaning either way. I'll give you one. You, you okay, definitely, you, you definitely want to play Virginia Tech, not Wake Forest, for two reasons. Two words: John Collins. Collins is the most improved player from last year to this year, and Collins the most dynamic player over the last six or eight ball games for Wake Forest. Just name first team All ACC. Just name most improved player. You didn't face him when you played Wake last time. He wasn't playing. You, you don't want to play him right now. You want Virginia Tech, and, and, and you want to roll with your chances against the Hokies, in my opinion. And see, the counterpoint would be if you get Wake, they will have played two consecutive days, and then you've got a deep squad in FSU. It seems like you'd like your matchup there. But we could, you know, like most of the ACC schedule, you can make a case for about anything happening in this league. It's been that good this year. Uh, separate the opponent – do we do we have confidence that Florida State's going to play well in a venue they've been in that is not the Tucker Center, albeit not a true road game? I think they probably will. I think that they feel pretty confident knowing that they played here uh, and played here really not all that long ago and got used to it. And you know, save for a, a second stretch uh, in that first game of the the preseason NIT or the NIT tip off, they played pretty well here uh, in those two games. So I think they feel pretty good about that. And, and, you know, I think the kind of the question on everybody's mind, and maybe some people have already answered it, but you know, is, is Florida state struggling on the road? Does that mean anywhere away from home? Or does that just mean, uh, you know, in, in a true road game, because if it's one and not the other, then all of a sudden I think Florida state's got reason to feel pretty confident. They're familiar with this venue. I think yeah, there, there's, there's no easy road to the ACC championship game here, but I think they got what you would have to consider to be as, as good of a draw as they can have hoped for. Uh, and just, you know, talking to some of the players in, in the hotel last night, I feel like they, they feel pretty good about their chances. I think a lot of guys, um, and this is sort of off topic a little bit, but after the Miami game and then again yesterday, I had multiple players bring up to me the idea uh, of proving people wrong and, and then brought up independently the, the, the media picked them to finish eighth in the preseason poll, and, and they didn't really like that. And so, you know, two months later, three months later, uh, now that they finished second in the league, I think they, they're kind of looking at it with, with sort of a chip on their shoulder, and, and this is a pretty good opportunity in their minds in front of the gathered ACC media to say, hey, you guys are really, really wrong about, the, about us. And that's, that seems to kind of be the vibe that I'm getting from, uh, from the team this week, which kind of surprised me just because, you know, the, the preseason stuff was so long ago, but, but they haven't forgotten. I do think, guys, there is a huge difference between a home game, an away game, and a neutral game. And my analogy goes like this. Florida State, you know, when they play in the Orange Bowl, if they're not playing Miami, they're playing in the true Orange Bowl, there's no repercussions about that being the place where University of Miami plays their home game. We're, we're playing in, a, in the Barclays Center. That's nobody's home court. This is like a bowl game for football. And as a result, I think there is a huge difference between a, a true away game and a neutral site game. I got a question that I need to put out on Twitter, but it, I'll get your guys' take on it, and then we'll, we'll take a break, come back, talk about some other Florida State things. Would you take an ACC tournament title for an early exit in the NCAA tournament? No. So conversely, what about you, Tim? No, I don't think so. Uh, you've climbed that mountain, and I think that was one of the, the disappointing things about that season. You win that tournament, you, you, your highest NCAA seed, and then uh, you know you're out on the first weekend. I think that was that was a tough pill for for folks to swallow. So no, I would. I, again, I, I, an ACC tournament championship would be a, uh, a huge accomplishment, not to be belittled, but I wouldn't want to trade it for a first weekend exit now. So conversely, how far would you have to advance in the NCAA tournament to be okay with a loss tomorrow night in your opening game in the ACC tournament? 
<laughs> uh, I, I, you, you, you've definitely got to get to the second weekend. I mean, you've got to play three or four games in the NCAA tournament if you get bounced in the first first round of the ACC tournament, I would believe. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that's probably the case for me, no matter what Florida State does uh, this weekend. You'd, you'd like to see them get at least to the Sweet 16. I think that they have the talent to do it and the ability to do it, and I think it's a, you've made a compelling case all year that they're one of the 16 best teams in the country. Obviously, anything can happen in the tournament, but I think that's a reasonable goal a reasonable expectation. And, and then beyond that, you know, we'll see how matchups go. But I think Sweet 16 and beyond uh, is certainly, you know, not, not not a goal to scoff at. I think a lot of people would like to see that. Yeah, I'm there with you. I'd like to see him win tomorrow so you're into the Final Four, you know, sort of justifying your double bye in the ACC tournament, then get to the Sweet 16. Uh, you know, and if you're in either of those positions, you get hot, you're not thinking about things, you're not thinking about pressure free throws like some guys on the team apparently do. Maybe you just get rolling and you see where it goes. Tim, there's a lot of other FSU stuff to talk about, so we will step aside. We may find the Beastie Boys again uh, as we come back and continue here on the front row. Stay with us. Back on the front row, back with the Beastie Boys, back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. I need a ruling as we uh, welcome Tim back. Tim, once the Knolls go through and sweep this this three-game set and win the ACC tournament, are we going to break out the Beastie Boys even though they're no longer playing in Brooklyn? Are we just going to roll with it? No, I don't think he can do that. I think you got to leave it in Brooklyn. Then it depends on. Uh, are there any Orlando-themed uh, popular music songs that we can come up with, something like that? Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. So you're saying we just bury it and we we bring it back out next year when the ACC tournament rolls into Brooklyn? Uh, I, I think you got to look at the uh, the method rather than the, you know the result. There would be. Some... So are you su- suggesting it's a small world or something like it, that? <laughs> you know, maybe that or uh, what are some of the other? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Anything. But yeah, it's a small world. That sounds good. <laughs> we can't go from the Beastie Boys to It's a Small World. Uh, yeah, we're just going to leave that alone for now, Keith. Tim, the, the big news on the football front that, you know, we had a whole press conference from Jimbo on Monday, and there's lots of little things we could discuss. And then practice happened, and all of a sudden people said, hey, that looks like Damian Craig. And lo and behold, it was Damian Craig. So were you aware and were you surprised that Damian is back on the staff at FSU? Uh, I was not aware before Monday. I don't think many folks were. Uh, I wasn't surprised. And, and if anything, I said to, to one of the other reporters out there, uh, I said, you know, probably should have anticipated this, right? Uh, especially the longer he went uh, without uh, without signing on anywhere and knowing that he still has a relationship with Jimbo Fisher and, and you know, those two go back a, a long, long time. I don't know that anybody should have been surprised that, that this worked out. Uh, and given the way that Jimbo Fisher raved about being able to bring Damian back, the other day, uh, you know, I think kind of speaks to just, just how uh, still in the, the esteem that, that Jimbo holds Damian in and, and how glad he is to have him back. And I said, given the, the past history there, probably shouldn't have caught a fight for us. So the stolen signs in the 2013 game are all forgiven. You know, as, as much as people have made about that, uh, Jimbo, when asked about it, is always, I, I guess you could say, taking the high road, but he's really always sort of downplayed to that. And I think his kind of attitude, and I don't know if you would ever come out and say this, it's sort of like, eh, that's football, that's gamesmanship. I know a lot of folks would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's on you or it's on the, your staff to make sure that, that the stuff that you want to have 
hidden remains properly hidden. Um, and so, you know, I think that's just kind of you know, the nature of the beast. Uh, I don't know what, uh, what, what again, what, what would you expect in that situation? I understand why people didn't like it, but again, I don't know that we should be surprised. And, you know, given the, uh, you know, modern football and what it is, it's just sort of, I think it all kind of fall, falls under the gamesmanship umbrella. And, you know, Jimbo obviously has no problem forgiving. Fair enough. Yeah, no, Jimbo has never made a big deal about that. Let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, when when he shows back up on campus, immediately Twitter and the message boards are abuzz with, well, is he going to be the 10th assistant, or which assistant is he going to replace, and all this stuff. I'm curious, so the reality is he went to Auburn for three years, he left and went to LSU for a year, LSU changed coaches, and he got fired. I mean, he was not retained. Side note, they fired him on the day after signing day because he's a good recruiter, and after they signed all the kids and had their the ink dry, then they fired the assistant coach that recruited him there, which that's a different topic for a different time. That's some good karma, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But But my question is, do you think there was any kind of a guarantee – from Damian or a requirement from Jimbo to say, you know, look, you're a good fit and I want to help you out. I'll bring you back, but you got to be here for the season. Or do you think the door is wide open for him to be on staff for 30 days like Clint Trickett was at Alabama? And if he gets another assistant uh, offer to go ahead and take that right now? Uh, I, that's a good question. I don't know exactly how that works. I think that, you know, most coaches, they all, so you, you all want to kind of leave the door open for your, your, your guys and your assistants to be able to, to move on, especially if they're getting promotions, because you know you want to be in that position yourself, or you were in that position yourself one day and had somebody that you know that, that you worked for who made it possible for you to move up. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know if, if Damian weren't here for a, a long, long time, unless of course, like you said, they would open the door for a, an extra assistant. And he would slide into that role. Um, that said, I, I do think it's probably reasonable to expect he'll be here. Uh, at least for one season, and then kind of go from there. But but you know you don't want to be the guy who who blocks uh, somebody, especially as somebody who's been a coordinator at, at the uh, at the Power Five level. Uh, if he gets another opportunity like that, so I, I think it's probably pretty open. Well, yeah. and, I, and I I think that I think the deal, and I haven't talked to either one of them guys, but I think the deal was Jimbo saying to Damien, "Look, I'll give you a year's work here, and I'll give you right of first refusal when the tenth coach gets approved." But the reason you got to remember the reason Jimbo brought him in is not just because he's a nice guy and he likes him. He was brought in to critique Jimbo's offense. He's to be the quality assurance guy on the offensive side. He's the guy that comes in and says, Jimbo, every time it's third and one on the plus 40 and you're up by seven points, you're running this play. You've got to quit doing that. Or every time we're in this situation, you do that. He's brought in to make Jimbo better. And, and again, that's just a testament to how Jimbo is because no one else is going to critique Jimbo like Damian will in that new position. Well, and I think you get a good point, Keith, and, and the, the fact that Jimbo trusts Damian to do that. He brought up several times the other day how familiar Damian Craig is with Jimbo Fisher's offense, maybe as familiar with anybody outside of Jimbo Fisher. He basically grew up with it, played under it, coached in it, uh, and is now coming back to, to be a part of it. So I think Jimbo really values reliability and, and trust and, and knowing that his assistants are going to do things the way that he wants them done without him having to worry about that. Uh, and he knows he's got those bases covered in Damian Craig. And so I think in his mind, uh, that's really, really valuable. Yeah. And so I agree with both of you. I do think the door's open because the other point that we didn't mention there, and, and I don't know what Damian's being paid, but he's been probably averaging 400 or 500 grand a year the last few years. 
And uh, I don't think FSU's at that level on its offensive analysts yet and its off-field coaches. The one, the one point I would disagree with you, KJ, is I don't know that there would be any guarantee on being that 10th assistant, which doesn't look like it's going to get approved till next year because I think if and when that is approved, Florida State would probably lean defense uh, just because you'd be skewed about 6'4 in, in terms of offensive coaches and Jimbo's an offensive guy too. Um, well, but, that doesn't mean it's the same 10. No, it doesn't. I, yeah, well, no, and, and you're you're getting into the conjecture that's out there. I'm not sure that I buy into that. That there's you know that there's going to be staff changes because Damien's now available. I could see Damien's here a year, and maybe somebody moves on. And if it's the right side of the ball, Damien gets offered a job. But I don't think it means that anything the handwriting's on the wall for anybody currently on staff necessarily. Only time will tell. Everything is speculation. You are correct. Tom. Well, that's what talk radio is, right? And message boards and Twitter and all that stuff. Tim, as I speak, the baseball team is, uh, I guess, nine outs or less away from a, a sweep over UCF. So I don't want to, you know, count things before they're in the bag here, but uh, that's it's been an impressive response for Florida State since the debacle that was the ninth inning against USF a couple weeks ago. It really has been. We were just talking about that on the way over to the Barclays Center on the settle. You know, it's, it seems like a, a long time ago that they got off to a start that, that maybe sort of made you raise your eyebrows a little bit, but they've uh, they certainly bounced back, had some guys start swinging the bats a little bit better. Quincy Naporti is off to a really nice start, which, no, I wouldn't call that a pleasant surprise, but it's, it's definitely a positive development that, that he's playing it the way that he is. Uh, and they found some arms that they like, obviously. And, and after working around the you know the rotation and, and also the bullpen, uh, maybe I found something that they think is going to work for him. So, uh, you know, like we always say, don't 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 make too much out of uh, out of college baseball in the first few weeks when they're working you know certain things out. Uh, you know, more often than not, it feels like we say that in response to when the team's winning a lot, but, but you can say that when they when they uh, lose a couple games early. They're still, you know, figuring some things out, and, uh, and it seems like maybe they, uh, some of the important things are sort of coming into focus for those guys, and they're able to win some games over some quality competition, you know, while they're at. I mean, UCF is no pushover, especially going down there. Uh, so for Florida State to, to go down there and look like they're going to get two wins uh, is, is a pretty nice little feather in the cap. Yeah, and they're into the eighth now, leading five nothing right now. I think the two things that have shown up in the last few days. Uh, it started over the weekend was Dylan Busby all of a sudden is showing that he can hit again. And now continuing against a good UCF team, uh, even with Carp, you know, Carp exited yesterday's game after four innings. I think it was back tightness or something like that. Hopefully that's nothing significant, but it appears that Busby can hit and, and the guys that could pitch last year, like a Jim Voiles who started today can still pitch this year because we hadn't really seen that uh, to this extent. We'd seen it from the starters, not from the bullpen so much. And now it looks like that element of the game is returned too. No, exactly right. And and so, you know, you just kind of, you know, want to see those pieces fall into place. And in, in a way, you almost wonder if, uh, if, if everything's kind of coming together earlier than expected. And I still, you know, we'll sort of wait and see what happens. They'll have that home series against Boston College this weekend before going to Florida. And, and those are always interesting being midweek games, but it's always a game that, that Mike Martin and Florida State wants to win and to be their, their first real opportunity to match up against a team as talented as they are. So I'll be curious to see how that one goes. But, but yeah, it seems like, you know, the, after a, you know, a week into the season, there were a lot of questions. And then two, three weeks later, it seems like a lot of those questions might have some pretty satisfying answers. Yeah, and of course, they'll open at home uh, in terms of the ACC schedule uh, coming up this weekend as Boston College uh, rolls in. Uh, I'm going to let you uh, get rolling, I think, Tim. I know you've you've got a tough assignment tonight. you gotta you got to watch some basketball. What, what else is on the sightseeing docket for you this week? You know, I mean, I know you've... Oh. You've got time tomorrow uh, while you're quote unquote working before the FSU game. So what's what's on the agenda? 
Well, you know what? I'm not a big Broadway guy, but there's this, this show I've heard of recently uh, about the, uh, the pre- pre- Hamilton. You heard of that one? Yes. So I think I'm going to uh, maybe go up there and see if I can snag some tickets and uh, maybe check that out before the uh, before the basketball game. I think it should be pretty easy, right? Piece of cake. No, I mean, well, not, right. the one up, not the one up you, Tim, but I visited his grave site today, if that counts. Did you really? I think that, I think that does count. Thanks for the thanks for the invite, by the way, Keith. Keith, Keith appreciate this, it. This this is great radio. But were you touring the city with Gene Deckerhoff? Uh, yes, I was. So that that in itself is a history lesson. If you, I mean, if we're pri- I had had a tape recorder, I got a hat of a book. I mean, we're privileged to know Gene, but uh, you know, folks that don't know him that well may not realize that he's well versed in a lot of things. And literally, if you were walking around New York with him, he could probably tell you a story about every street sign you passed. Hey, we had to go completely out of our way to see the fearless girl. Our listeners just Google the fearless girl and the Wall Street bull. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Just Google it and read. Uh, you'll be fascinated. Excellent. Hey, Tim, enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy NYC. And uh, thanks for giving us a reason to bring the Beastie Boys to uh, the front row. You know, I feel like we're, we're finally starting to come together on this show. It's been a little while, but things are looking up. Yeah, we pretty much should hang it up after this. This may be the high point. I mean, it may not get any better than what we've done tonight. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Keith, unfortunately, you're on the you're on the payroll on the clock for the full hour, so uh, you don't get to go have fun yet. So stay with us. More of the front row after this. Down Back on the front row, Tom and KJ with you. We have uh, relieved Tim of his responsibilities tonight so he can uh, return to being uh, or doing whatever it is that he's doing. Actually, he's at the Barclays to watch uh, Virginia Tech and Wake, as are you, KJ. Let's bring it back to to basketball and be a little more serious now in terms of Florida State. We don't know who they're going to play tomorrow night, but one of the big questions has been in regard to Florida State's rotation, which Leonard has gone very deep with all year long. Typically, he goes 10 games into a season, and by the end of December, when the conference season starts, that rotation gets shortened. That never happened this year. Will it happen now that we're in the postseason? I don't think it can, Tommy. I think this is what they're used to doing and and the way they're used to playing. Uh, And remember, because of the way this rotation has been, he's never had to try to protect players like he did last time out with Jonathan Isaac picking up that second foul. First time we've seen Isaac sit for the majority of the first half I guess in his career, so no, I don't. I don't anticipate any changes, uh, fouls situation, or individual matchups may uh, dictate a little bit. But philosophically, no. You've done this through 31 games. I don't think it's now. uh, Now it's time to change. Well, the counterpoint to that would be that your three best players are Bacon, Isaac, and XRM. At least one of those guys should be on the court at all times. Probably two, wouldn't you say? I, I would. Uh, Bacon's averaging, I think, 28 points a ball game, and X is right behind him at 27, 26 and a half. Minutes, you mean. Uh, minutes, not points. Minutes, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry, minutes. Yes, thank you. Uh, but, again, you've come this far doing it this way. Uh, do you change now in the postseason? And I think as conservative as Leonard has a tendency to be, uh, I'd have to vote no right now. Well, and the upside, I mean, if you're making the argument that depth is going to win you a game that's a 40-minute war because you're going to wear down the other team, 
that certainly is going to apply and be magnified if you're playing a team that just played the night before or maybe played two nights before and the night before if Wake Forest right. wins. I mean, that, that right. would give you an edge there. And, and, as, and as you go through playing three games in three days and that sort of thing. Uh, is there any kind of, uh, I'm assuming, I don't know if you're staying in the same place we stayed over uh, over Thanksgiving up there, but I'm assuming you're staying in Brooklyn pretty close to the Barclays where the team is. Uh, would you even know the ACC tournament is going on if you weren't affiliated with it? I mean, it's it's a big deal that it's there, but this is New York City, and uh, in that respect, uh, it's not a big deal. Folks are a little more aware than I, I think uh, I than I believe they would be uh, when you go out and about, and you know, as you're wearing your colors, people are coming up to you and say you're from Florida State, you're in here for the tournament. Uh, as you look at other player, uh, other personnel. And people walking around, you'll see, you know, the Miami colors and the, and the NC State colors, although they're gone now. Uh, so I, I think it's uh, noticeable, but I think your point's very well made. You know, there's two, three million people in the in the Brooklyn borough alone. I think I think one of the tour guides told us that if Brooklyn was a city, a real city, it'd be like the sixth largest city in the United States. So uh, it does get lost a little bit, and, and candidly, I don't have a problem with that because once you get into the Barclays, you know it's all ACC then. Now I know attendance hasn't been great thus far, but it, I'm sure it wasn't in the Big East days playing on these days of the week either. But uh, so we're talking Tuesday, Wednesday, tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday is when it's going to get more interesting. Is there any sense for uh, what the attendance is going to be, demands of tickets, and that sort of thing? <coughs> Pardon me, my, my sense was a little different uh, when when we were in there last night. You know, at the tail end of three games, you had a noon game and a 2 o'clock game, and they took a break, and then had one 7 o'clock game, you know, the, the first round, the play-in games, whatever you want to call them. Tommy, there were there were quite a number of people in the Barclays Center last night at 9 o'clock when, when Pitt and Georgia Tech were finishing up. I was impressed. So I'm anxious to see. I think the attendance will be better than maybe we anticipate, just given the fact of how long the tournament is. and and how some of these games can, can be a little difficult to watch at times. Well, I think that goes to the larger point when you look at the ACC being there. I mean, there's the discussion about is it convenient for the league schools and its fan bases and how expensive or cost prohibitive is it if you're a Georgia Tech fan to go to New York or a Clemson fan or an FSU fan. But that's discounting the fact that there's a great basketball heritage in the city of New York and people who would go to a basketball game to be entertained even if they don't have an affinity to one of the schools that's playing in the game. I mean, there's legends out of New York City, obviously, uh, and some of them are wearing uniforms right now of ACC schools. So I think that's to me, is one of the more interesting things about this ACC tournament. It's not just going to be – if you're in Greensboro – and you're at the at the ACC tournament. You're pretty much affiliated with one of the schools there. Uh, but if you're in New York City, and and that also speaks to your point. Pardon me, but it speaks to your point. The you know the Timo Booster sent out a notice uh, during the week, you know, anticipating should Florida State be uh, uh, successful in their bid for the NCAA tournament, and should they be playing in Orlando, that the NCAA tournament doesn't provide Florida State with a batch of tickets like a bowl game or like the ACC tournament. You, you've got to go to Orlando sources to get your tickets. Well, the, the parallel thing here in New York is all of the schools got their ticket allotments and that type of thing, but there's another five or 7,000 tickets, which is huge in a basketball arena, that are being purchased by people in Brooklyn that may have little or no affiliation to any individual school within the NCAA, or ACC rather. 
So when you know we're we're at five minutes left to go on a seven o'clock game on the first day of the tournament, and I'm in the Barclays Center and I'm looking up, and there's still you know half of the upper deck of the Barclays Centers with people sitting in it. Uh, that was pretty impressive to me. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I mean, uh, the next three days will be the true test, and obviously, it's committed there next year. John Swafford made some comments to David Teal, who's as accomplished an ACC writer as there is, and we've had him on this show, uh, basically intimating that you know his plan uh, in his world, the tournament would rotate a couple years New York, and then you'd bring in DC and Atlanta. Uh, but they're going to make that decision in mid-May about where it goes for the next uh, next year. It's in Brooklyn, but the next two years after that, it's scheduled for Carolina. But if they haven't uh, figured out HB2 by the time the league meets in two months, they're going to bypass North Carolina and award other sites. I think that's the way they're planning to move forward. Well, I I talked to John Swafford last night, and and while I can't tell you I specifically talked about what they were going to do with the tournament, I will just tell you in my brief exchange with him, A, he had a huge smile on his face, and B, that smile never left his face. Uh, I think the, the, I think everything the ACC expected out of this tournament is going to ultimately be realized, uh, even though it's the first year in New York City. Hey, let's bounce back to football real quick. We talked about Damian Craig. Is there anything else that came out of Jimbo's press conference earlier this week or any thoughts uh, that you have as we're into spring football now? Uh, you know, th- things that things that jumped out at you. Wilson Bell obviously is going to move on. Uh, you know, I was surprised by that, by the way. A lot of people weren't, but I had not heard, you know, rumblings and things. And you and I have had Wilson on our show. He, he was a member of the ACC Advisory Committee as a player. Uh, he's gr- going to graduate. He was a model student. Uh, you know, he started, uh, what, every game his sophomore year, whatever it was. Uh, I was a little surprised by that. I didn't see that coming. Uh, and, and the other thing that was part of it that didn't get talked about, but, uh, you know, this whole issue of attrition, which we, we probably need to do an entire show on, you know, with Wilson leaving and some other things happening, Florida State's at 88 or 89 quote-unquote players on scholarship, 85 being the limitation once uh, fall camp begins. So, you know, there's another two or three or four that you expect to roll off either NDQs, medical disqualifications, academics, or otherwise. You know, just playing numbers, kind of like the, you know, the airlines sell 90 tickets on a, a plane that seats 85, uh, you know, per, per uh, passengers. Right. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the only thing that jumped out at me when I saw the schedule, this is how weird and crazy I am, is why are they starting practice and then taking a week off for spring break before they come back to practice? Why didn't they wait another couple of weeks? Uh, Don't know the answer to that. Maybe you do. Yeah. I don't, but you know, uh, and I don't recall what they've done typically in the Jimbo era, but in the Bowden era, they used to do that routinely, and all the coaches would go on a cruise over spring break and then come back and continue with spring. So that was I the norm. I'm, I'm forgetful and ignorant because I don't remember it being. Yeah, that. that was the norm during the Bowden years. Uh, I feel like it would be better to not be disjointed with spring break in between. So I, I, I don't know. Well, I remember during the Bowden time, you had 20 practices. So that's another week or a week and a half you have to schedule into it. There's only 15 workouts you know, in today's environment. I guess what I'm saying is I don't have a great answer for it either. It, it does... I do know this. I do know this. Jimbo kept his word. He's given the kids off on spring break. He's not taking them to IMG or to France or anywhere else. He's giving them their time off. Well, and that's, you know, every time Jim Harbaugh opens his mouth about something, they'll they'll have to create another page in the rule book to prevent things, and he'll find a way around it, and then they'll legislate against that, too. Can a school pay for the passport that a player has to get 
in order to participate in spring ball in France. Only on days of the week where they're allowed to provide cream cheese for the bagel that they're serving the student athlete, I think is how that reads. Keith, we got to take not, but not but not peanut butter. Exactly. We've got to take a break, come back and wrap things up, and we'll do that on the other side of this break here on the front row. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, I'll remind you it's available on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods. You can head to ESPNTallahassee.com and under the Audio Vault drop-down menu, simply click on the front row or uh, subscribe to the podcast of this show via iTunes. I encourage you to do that. Keith, uh, I know you're not quite as plugged in as uh, maybe some of us on this show are. I'll just leave it like that. But uh, you may be aware that Jeff Cameron, you now get to see his mug while he broadcasts his show as well on on YouTube. And I've been investigating to see that may be in our future as well, which which clearly will hurt the Internet uh, if they put uh, us I back on TV. I have two words for that. I have two words for that. My eyes! My eyes! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm not sure if and when that's coming, but uh, maybe we'll be able to uh, ride the, the Jeff Cameron gravy train there as well. Does that mean well. i got to comb my hair when I do this thing? It, it does. And it means it'll, it'll be I'll very pronounced just how much higher I sit on my chair than you do on <laughs> yours. That will be – because, you know, on TV it, it adds pounds. It adds, it adds lots of inches. So you'll be like six feet lower than me when the way, the way that looks on TV. Well, with you and I are 25-plus years of doing work with Sunshine Network, Sunspot, Sports, uh, Fox Sports – Sun or whatever they're calling themselves now, you know how many times I asked for the slimming lens, and I never got it. So uh, I guess I'll be, be used to that. Well, we both asked for it, and uh, they've they've informed both of us that uh, technologically they couldn't they couldn't solve our issues there. We needed to work on them ourselves. Uh, we're just about out of time, KJ. I encourage you to uh, have a good time in New York, and don't come back until uh, Sunday after you uh, not only get to announce three more games but win three more games for Florida State. I will be happy to make that sacrifice. All right, on the way out the door, I need to remind our folks that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. couple locations, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. KJ, be safe. Will do. All right. We will, I think, be reunited next week. Depends on where the Knowles end up in the NCAA tournament. Keith may already be uh, back on the road for March Madness. Uh, it's a fun time, more fun when the team we cover is participating as the Knowles are this year. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and we'll talk to you again next week right here on the Front Row.